Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates, ready to go. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us from the 6th and Peabody Studios with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. Big show planned. Coming up in 20 minutes, Trey Wallace, SEC writer and columnist for Outkick.com. He will be with us as we break down and preview the upcoming matchups for this weekend slate across the Southeastern Conference. And uh, in about an hour and a half, Armando Salguero joins the show. NFL Week 5 kicks off tonight with a good game between the Seahawks and Rams. We'll preview that, plus much more on Sunday's slate. Guys, what's up? Weekend is here, virtually. Here we are. We've arrived. Football talk all day. I'm ready. There's a soccer game on tonight I want to watch. I think it's on in Spanish on a channel I don't get. That infuriates me. Is this a matchup with Jamaica? It is. Your favorite, your favorite yeah. international game, U.S. My favorite island nation, Jamaica. Chad, it's time to send a tweet. Remind everyone what happened the last time you did. I said uh, when the U.S. lost to Jamaica in soccer that the only two things that the U.S. should ever lose to Jamaica in is track or smoking weed. And that received a very, very negative response. It's a diplomatic situation. I mean, it was a diplomacy issue. I mean, it was a a safety issue for me. I was getting threatened in a language I didn't understand. You received security. His two most famous tweets, one caused the international (laughs) incident, and the other was a gelling of the Southeast. Sorority incident. Yeah. But one was was peace and one was war. War and peace. Absolutely. Well, this thing took off because someone who covers uh, Jamaican football tweeted it out or retweeted it, so everyone that follows... I wonder if that writer continued to follow me all these years later just in the hopes that maybe this guy will tweet something again that I can really fan the flames with. Maybe. So if the U.S. goes out and loses to Jamaica tonight, maybe I'll fire off another tweet. I'll get the old brain working to see what I can fire up Jamaica with. Well, if I'm watching a Spanish-language broadcast in a bar somewhere, I'll let you know. Yeah, I was getting cursed out in... uh, some sort of Jamaican slang that we had to go to some sort of Google translator <laughs> to find out what well, they were yeah. saying. And I remember Hutton was going on air it is and reading back in English what was being said to me. It was great. <laughs> it's dangerous. Uh, we, we were working against the FCC at the time. Let's do it. I, I welcome, this is like Steven Seagal and Mark for Death. I welcome on all Jamaican, anyone who wants to bring it, bring it on. I'm ready to go. Should get you one of those hats with Rastafarian hair, but I I don't think it would play well in no, these times. Probably not the way to go. Not the way to go in twenty. But it would would be a funny picture it of would. you. Yep. it's good for you. <laughs> I wouldn't touch it. I'm sure it'd be used against me in some way oh, at yeah. some point. That picture circulating around. <laughs> You'd be enemy number one in Jamaica. Right. Dodgers with the walk off last night in the ninth. The better team. Three one. I, I mean, I I I feel badly that the Dodgers a 
have to play in a wild card game when they win 106 games. I'm not for the reconstruction of the divisions or anything like that. I do think they need to maybe rejigger the 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 format. I mean, you win 106 games, it just doesn't feel fair that you're playing the one-game thing to, to be in the playoffs. Well, the 11-win Colts were on the road at Buffalo last yeah. year. And, um, well, baseball with the dailiness is different to me. And, um, and now that they have to play the Giants, it doesn't – I don't think there should be a first-round playoff matchup against your division uh, – against your division in, it, in it's, baseball. It's weird that it's Red Sox, Rays, and then Giants, Dodgers – facing off from the same division uh, in the You've playoffs. You've seen those matchups a ton. If you're going to see them again, let it be because they turn out to be the two best teams. Well, you want the playoffs, I guess, to be a little bit different where you don't get that divisional matchup in, in the divisional round. You save that for the ALCS or NLCS. And the Dodgers and the Giants out. are the two best teams in baseball, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it, for a divisional series. It would have seemed – it was the right outcome. Sorry to all the Cardinals fans out there, but it was, it was the I'm right outcome. Sorry. I mean, it's, it would have felt a little bit cheap had the team that won 20 fewer games went out and won the one-game playoff and advanced. And it would have been very Cardinals-like to do so. And I thought they were going to do it. That thing's tied one-to-one for the majority of the game. I'm thinking, this is a Cardinals team that just won 17 straight games. And they are going to find a way. With their history in the National League, they're going to find a way to get it done and then advance. And sure enough, the better team won. It's funny. I had not thought about that this way. Um, and obviously I'm still disgusted over what happened with the Yankees and the Red Sox, but these one-game playoffs now that are popular that used to only be, you know, if you tied through 162 for, for division. But Greg Nettles, my absolute favorite guy of all time, uh, did an interview with Mad Dog Russo, which, Hutton, you would have just been suicidal if you heard the way Russo asked questions. He would... Uh, was he yeah. awake when he did it? Well, yeah, oh yeah, he's Good. awake. No, Francesca's is the one that sleeps. Oh, I'm sorry. Russo's That's the, the yeah, one that Russo, screams yeah. in his face. Russo's the screamer. Francesca's the sleeper. But Russo would ask a question like this: Like uh, you played in a ton of games that were really, really important games. A lot of really important games. But Yankees, Red Sox in '78, the way that season panned out, that had to be the the most important game you ever played on. Your thoughts? Go ahead. And every question, he was like, your thoughts, go ahead. Maybe it was because it was like a podcast thing and they weren't face-to-face. I don't know, he's done a lot of phone interviews. But anyway, Nettles, uh, you know, so I listened to this whole interview and uh, Nettles said, you know, he was asking uh, some questions about that 78 game and he said, the biggest thing to me with how tense it was, I was just kind of hoping on both sides, nobody made a huge mistake that would have branded them for life. He never mentioned Buckner and, and that World Series. But he was kind of saying, I just hoped that nobody made a huge mistake that determined the outcome of the game and branded them for life. And he was saying, you know, I'll be watching. This is the day of the game. I'll be watching the game tonight, and I still wear a Boston Sucks shirt when I watch mm-hmm. Yankees Red Sox. But I'll also be hoping that nobody makes a mistake that brands them for life, which to me took me in my head, to, again, to the magnitude of the Buckner thing. But also, I was thinking a little bit while I was watching some Cardinals-Dodgers. Like, the, the thing about that game and, and football games you see sometimes, like uh, the bad mistake thing being bigger than the big play thing sometimes. It's just an interesting way well, to think and it's, about it. Well, it, it, that, that's the nature of baseball also. But it's more about, I want to see someone make the play and not make, oh, the play. Right. You know, the play being someone goes out, hits a big home Bucky run. Bucky Dent being the hero as opposed to Buckner being the someone out at the plate. You know, a great strikeout, but not the embarrassing Bill Buckner type moment. But it also doesn't soften the blow for 
and I'm blanking on his name right now, but the relief pitcher for the Cardinals that comes out there and throws three pitches and gives up the game, you know, on his third pitch. He comes in to face Chris Taylor, who hits a home run to end the game. But still, it's Chris Taylor but that's, that's going to be remembered. Be, yeah. yeah. More. More. I also think Cardinals fans will remember the pitcher who gave it up. That's going to bring him. No, it's telling, well. like, and you're a fan of neither team, but you can remember Chris Taylor right now, and you can't come up with a pitcher's name. So that tells you a little because bit about it. Because it wasn't an error. About it. Right. You know, it was just that it's baseball. Sometimes that those things happen. Yeah, I think the winner of, I mean, if the winner of Dodgers Giants doesn't win the whole thing, it'll be a big disappointment for, for that team. And I'm not a Dodgers fan by any means, but winning it last year kind of sucked, right? Who are you guys pulling for now? Uh, the Braves. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, Braves. obviously my team is still in it, but um, outside of that, I, I, the Giants, I think, are a great story. The, the Giants won the most games in baseball, and I, I saw something based on preseason betting odds. It's the first time something like that has happened, I believe, since 1991, Braves worst to first team because they were predicted to do virtually nothing this year, and they were the best team in baseball. I'm rooting for the Giants, and honestly, the Rays. You know, can the Rays get over the hump this year? They, they lost the World Series a year ago to the Dodgers. I, I think that's a, a pretty I, compelling story. I really I, hate them all. I'm, I'm rooting for Milwaukee. I'm pulling for the Rays because I want Nashville's future franchise to have a title when they move here. Yeah, that's right. That's, I mean, a, that's, that's a good way to think that's, about that's it. That's why I'm pulling for Tampa. And they're actually going forward with this split. Yeah. Conceivably next year. It's going to be an utter fiasco. You do not. Th- this is going to hurt them because you do not want to play for a team that has two homes. You're already away for half the year. You've got family issues, and now your home is split. This is torture for families of players. We tend not to be sympathetic for that, but the Blue Jays at least was temporary. They're looking for this to be their their thing or maybe a precursor for a move to Montreal, but you've got international issues there in terms of currency, in terms of all of that, and then you're going to ask your wife and kids to be waiting for you at quote-unquote home, and you've got two addresses, or one of them's a hotel. And if you've got infant children uh, and a wife carrying around a couple kids in carriages and I realize it's a burden. They'll be okay. The guaranteed money in baseball, I I would do it. I'll take it. But if you have have equal choices, you're not taking a race. Well, just come to Nashville. If you have equal choices, like I would do that instead of play for Baltimore right now. Yeah, don't have a split season somewhere else. Just uh, move the race to Nashville. And I'll say this. I'm not so sure that the Toronto thing is that temporary. Uh, based on the fact that the uh, NBA is going to, if you leave your hotel room right. in Toronto, you could go to jail for six months. I mean, that, that's New a York country that's going to an extreme. And it's the, uh, the building issue, like with the Kyrie Irving situation. What the, the hell are The NBA rules do? don't make sense to me in New York because New York will allow, so an unvaccinated player in the NBA who is on the visiting team can play at Madison Square Garden, but Kyrie cannot. Yeah, that's Kyrie cannot play at Brooklyn. But what are the Nets going to do? You play him on road games, then can you pay him half his salary? Yeah, I he, mean, they're he all would, kind of he would forfeit that money. Yeah, right. if he sticks with this, he forfeits half of his salary, and they could play him on the road. What's the other city? L.A. Uh, San Francisco. San Fran. San Francisco. Which Wiggins was the one who was holding out for uh, Golden State for the Warriors, and now he's. Uh, I think Steve Kerr. Wiggins didn't say it, but Steve Kerr said he has now been vaccinated, and didn't go much further than that. So it but looks they, like he'll be able to play. Yeah. And, and, and Kyrie will always find the controversy. Well, I mean, Kyrie can play for any other NBA team and play in the state of New York right now. Yeah, Which so makes the fact that he's on the home team means he can't play or practice. A lot of nonsensical rulemaking rule out there. And when you bring that up to someone, 
It's just met with a lot yeah, of silence. Why wouldn't they keep the visitor, the unvaccinated visitor? Out? Because he's not staying. He's uh, that's their that's their rule. He's not staying there. He's not a resident. So that's again that it's bizarre. There's always there's always something with all these rules and and, and stipulations in place, and this is the case with that. And that, he's not going to make things easy. No, Kyrie. And he's also going to voice his displeasure whenever he can. Although he told at media day, he's like, just respect my privacy. Stop asking about it. That's a big deal for fans. Stop asking about it. You'll find out when I'm not um, Yeah, I mean, he's not allowed to practice. No, not just in lineup. He's not allowed to practice. So. <laughs> I mean, don't you have to trade him? That's, I mean, at some point, if you can't practice with a team in your home city and you can't play home games... It's a weird spot to be, uh, though. Talk about load management. We're going to play them on the road and not at home. That's our new uh, city-dictated load management strategy. It's well, the thing, the thing is, though, if the, if, the, if the stipulation and the regulations are lifted in the coming months, then he's fine. Yeah. So but the question no is, how long is, he, how long is it like this? Uh, you have to strike some kind of side, if, if side you, deal. If you trade him, he could still come play in your arena. You can't, he can't play for you, but he can play against you. Yeah. That, uh, it's just, it, it's crazy. Coming up, SEC discussion. Trey Wallace about to join us from Outkick.com. Some good games this weekend. We are headed to College Station to watch the number one team in the country, Alabama and Texas A&M for Outkick the Tailgate. We've also got Georgia hosting Auburn uh, for that matchup. Looking forward to that. Ole Miss, Arkansas, and much more. We discuss it all with Trey Wallace coming up. First, though, Aurora NutriScience, VitaLifeScience.com is the website. Outkick 360's trusted partner that keeps us mentally sharp and healthy. Aurora delivers your supplements where you need them the most, your body. You're seeing VitaLifeScience.com right now, V-I-D-A-LifeScience.com, where you can get more information. Our Outkick 360 season ticket holders receive 15% off with the code OUTKICK360. Typical pills and capsules are not well absorbed. Most are only absorbed in small, very small amounts. But here's Aurora. Unique, cutting-edge nutritional supplements encapsulated in liposomes that ensure greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. I personally use vitamin C, vitamin D3, glutathione, simple single-use packets that you can grab and go in the morning, stick with you all day. Aurora supplements will keep you uh, healthy, keep you energized if you're a weekend warrior. Uh, you can take medication uh, for high cholesterol. You can also supplement that with Aurora products. And if you want the endless benefits from curcumin, check them out for that as well. Vitalifescience.com for more info. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360. Vitalifescience.com. Central 9 Eastern across the OutKick network. Myself, Chad Withrow, Jill Savage. Play Travis. We will be live in College Station right outside of Kyle Field. Aggieland is where we'll be located with TexAgs.com. And looking forward to Saturday morning's broadcast and then taking in A&M and Alabama Saturday night in College Station. In Knoxville, the Vols and the Gamecocks with the black uniforms. And then in between all of those games, Georgia takes on Auburn in the Plains. Arkansas and Ole Miss in a battle for second place, that next tier in the SEC West. And we mentioned Bama and Ole Miss, among other games, of LSU at Kentucky, I should mention, Chad. Here to preview them all, Trey Wallace of Outkick.com. 
one of the uh, top guests on our rotation because Trey always has a great video and microphone prepared for the show. Trey, hope you're doing great, man. Guys, good afternoon. Looks like <laughs> there you're in the college station. That should be uh, that should be a good time this weekend. Yeah, but our first our first visit there. We have we have not been to College Station uh, in, in ever. So I'm I'm looking forward to the atmosphere at Kyle Field. I've been told, and Trey, I don't know if you've been or not. I've been told that it's a lot different than your typical college atmosphere or SEC town. Yeah, especially if you're going to go to the Friday night, uh, what's it, the yell rally on Friday night to get things going. And then, yeah, it's, it's built up. You know, the, the upper decks are kind of built up so much that it feels like, you know, the entire stadium is sitting on you. So it'll be a good environment. Hopefully it actually turns into a good ball game you guys are going to witness. But the environment should at least be fun Saturday night at 8 o'clock Eastern time. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, environment should be fun in Knoxville also. Uh, Tennessee hosting South Carolina, the black uniforms and – Trey, you wrote a good piece about Hendon Hooker now being that dude for the Tennessee Vols and being a real leader for this team. How confident should Tennessee fans be in Hendon Hooker now moving forward based on what we've seen to this point? I think you've got a quarterback right now who's comfortable inside the offense, and I think you've got an offensive coordinator in Alex Golish and head coach Josh. Josh Heupel that that trust what Hendon Hooker can bring. I think Alex Golas put it perfectly when he said, "Look, we didn't really know what we were getting out of Hendon Hooker because he was in a red contact jersey. We weren't letting him scramble. We weren't letting him make plays outside the pocket. So now that you've seen what Hendon Hooker can do throwing the football while also getting outside the pocket if it collapses and, and making plays with his feet or finding that guy downfield, they feel more comfortable in that situation with him. And, and a lot of it, Chad, was – you know, the, the tempo part of this, you know, Hendon Hooker ran not a similar type of offense at Virginia Tech, but he ran that shotgun type offense where they're they're kind of going, you know, but it was more or less 20 seconds between plays and not six seconds between plays. I think he's finally picked that up. And, and you saw that against Missouri, and you saw it a little bit against Florida as well before he went out with an injury. So they're more comfortable with what they have, and, and, and that's a good thing because Tennessee can rely on the run game and what they get out of Tyon Evans, maybe Jabari Small this weekend. We'll see how he does when it comes to injury-wise before he plays. But just looking at it right now, Hendon Hooker, it, it feels like he has control of what they're trying to do. And I'll say this, Chad – I think a lot of that has to do with how they switched up the wide receivers this past weekend, like we talked about last week, with putting his roommate, Valus Jones Jr., in the slot and then having Javante Payton and Cedric Tillman on the opposite sides. Well, and Trey, on the flip side of that, South Carolina has been very solid defensively so far this year, but Shane Beamer really hasn't found a quarterback yet. Luke Doty may be coming along a little bit in, in last week's game, but offense, offense has been a real struggle so far for the Gamecocks. I was talking to a Tennessee buddy earlier, and we were talking about how this is almost the game that makes you more nervous because if Tennessee plays well, they should win. And it's not a game where you're going into it where you know they're going to lose by two or three scores, where you're not nervous and you're playing with house money. This is a game Tennessee needs to win. If they win, they're probably going to get to six wins, and that would be a successful season. This could be the game at the end of the year we're looking back and saying that's why the season wasn't successful was because of that one Saturday. So just looking at South Carolina in this matchup with Tennessee, what type of problems could they present? What do you think about the matchup for the Vols? 
Well, I think the biggest thing, Chad, is concerning is if South Carolina can figure out how to get their running game going. I, I, you know, I don't know how much to take away from Luke Doughty. I actually watched a, a decent amount of that game against Troy. Look, Troy's defense was good, but you know they've been going up against some Bell competition, but they were top five in the country in a couple of different statistics. Um, when you look at South Carolina, the problem is they don't have a run game to set up the pass game. So they're sitting there and they're relying on Dottie to be able to get the ball down the field. And, and really the wide receivers aren't getting open. And, and that's a problem for him. This is the type of quarterback that, that's not going to scramble down the field 25, 30 yards, you know, and, and try to make that play outside the pocket. And, and it's, you know, it was almost the same thing when they had Zeb back there, Nolan, you know, the graduate transfer turned quarterback. You know, you didn't really know what you were going to get at the quarterback position. So Shane Beamer right now has got himself a little bit of a problem because if they can't establish anything off on the offensive line, especially against a Tennessee defensive line that has been good but hasn't been great, and especially against a linebacking core at Tennessee where we've seen Jawan Mitchell kind of drop off and Aaron Beasley has kind of picked up that spot along with Jeremy Banks. So, look, if there was a weekend where South Carolina's offense could take advantage of a defense, it would be what Tennessee's done at linebacker, doing at linebacker right now. But I just don't see that happening with the inconsistencies and not being able to get anybody going in the run game. Two stats you mentioned in your piece, one on each side of the ball, and I wonder how much you think each should be a concern heading into this game for Tennessee. South Carolina, three defensive touchdowns, and Troy over 50% on third down last week. Yeah, Paul, I, I think that's big for, for South Carolina. Now, look, I, I don't think that Tennessee would put themselves in situations where you know you, you would get that many you know, defensive touchdowns. I know it's three games for the whole season, but what I'm getting at is that with Tennessee, they're, they're so methodical in how they're going to run the football to try to set up the pass. I'll be interested to see if Hendon Hooker or, let me say, if I, if Alex Golish and, and Josh Heupel put Hendon Hooker in that situation where they have to test the South Carolina defensive backs or they have to force that ball in there. I, I don't see that happening a lot. When you look at what they did on third down conversions, you know, that part kind of stands out to me is they can't afford anything along those lines, can't afford to get off the field as well. One thing, South Carolina, if they are going to, to put up a fight against Tennessee, long, consistent drives, keep the ball out of Tennessee's hands. Uh, and, and if they can do that, okay, then maybe they can have some kind of success. But you look at what Troy did to South Carolina last weekend when it comes to the defensive output the Trojans were putting on the Gamecocks, and you just felt like South Carolina was stumbling the whole game. And, and if it honestly, Paul, if it weren't for a a crazy turnover that probably should have gone to Troy where both players had the ball at the same time. I don't know South Carolina is, is, is getting out of that game with a win. So they were kind of lucky last weekend. Third downs didn't help. Trey Wallace of Outkick.com with us. You can follow him on Twitter at Trey Wallace underscore. Let's uh, discuss Georgia and the Bulldogs, what they did to Arkansas, Trey, and what they've done to build leads going into halftime. Their halftime lead so far this season, 35 nothing, 26 to 6 38 to nothing, 24 nothing. And then teams have to throw the football in the second half. The Bulldogs have only allowed a combined 170 yards passing in second halves this season. How do you keep it close if you're Auburn Saturday? 
It, Bo Nix is going to have to run the ball and get outside the pocket and make plays like you saw in Baton Rouge. I mean, that, that's really it because you're going to see a Georgia defensive line that's going to put a lot of pressure. You know, if Tank Bigsby can go for Auburn, you know, they're going to try to shut down that run game pretty quick and they're going to try to make Bo Nix pass the football. The biggest thing that, that Auburn could do is, like I just said, kind of get outside the pocket and make plays on the run. Get outside there and make the Georgia secondary work for it. You know, don't – don't get in a spot where your defensive line, you know, Georgia's defensive line puts so much pressure on the quarterback and in the run game that the secondary kind of drops back and falls back a little bit and, and they're not having to defend as much. I, I think, and you were just talking about, you know, when it comes to teams getting down, like look at last weekend, you know, Georgia blocks that punt attempt. They score that touchdown, and and all of a sudden you feel like the game's over because KJ Jefferson he has to come out in the second half and pass the football, like you just said, and, and that just wasn't going to fly. Um, Eighty yards passing last weekend for Arkansas, and most of that came in the fourth quarter. You know when when Georgia was playing their threes and fours. So I, I look at this weekend as a test for for Georgia in one way on offense. We'll get to, but when it comes to the defense. You know, what does Mike Bobo have up his sleeve at Auburn when it comes offensively trying to be able to test the Georgia defense? I think you're going to see them go deep a couple times, see if that secondary is awake, and then getting, like I said, outside the pocket, maybe making plays with Tank Bigsby happen if he can go. Um, but the biggest biggest component to me is, is Bo Nix this weekend and what he can do passing the football we saw it last week. It, it was it was kind of difficult against LSU. They did make some some stunning plays in in the second half, but they're going to need more out of him. Um, right now, I'm kind of interested in, in what Georgia does offensively if they have to roll with Stetson Bennett again this weekend. Trey, help me out with LSU and Kentucky. I'm, I'm having a really hard time picking this game. I'm having a really hard time figuring out exactly what Kentucky is, even though they're undefeated right now. You mentioned a block punt. It was a block kick and a return for a touchdown that's a difference in their win over Florida. They won close against South Carolina. They won close against Missouri. They won close against UT Chattanooga. Then you've got LSU reeling coming in with everyone talking about Ed Ogeron's job. This seems like a game where Coach O rallies the troops and LSU finally plays well in this game. What's going to happen in Lexington on Saturday night? I, you you just kind of hit on it, and I and I wrote about that uh, here just a little bit ago to come out tomorrow. Um, does do the LSU players step up for their coach? They they read the chatter, they know what's going on. Uh, they're around folks that are talking to them about their head coach who's on the hot seat, um, which right now he is. And, and the way the team's been performing, you know that that comes with the territory. You look at what Kentucky has done. Here's a surprising stat um, that I wrote about. Kentucky in their three SEC games have not passed for over 180 yards. So they're 3-0 and in the SEC, but they have not hit over 180 yards passing in each one. They had 178 against Missouri. Um, they had uh, 107 against South Carolina. And then you look at this past weekend, where it was around that 102 mark against Florida. Um, and it was actually even under that if you take away the sacks. So you look at what Kentucky is doing there, there was no reason besides that blocked field goal last weekend that Kentucky should have been in that ball game, but they seem to have just some kind of mojo, especially on defense with Josh Pascal, that kind of keeps them rolling into this thing. And, and that blocked field goal turned the momentum around. Kentucky was able to play keep away from Florida. Um, they were able to put pressure on Emory Jones. This is a group defensively that I feel like, you know, 
can get after the quarterback, that can stop a run game if if need be. Um, and, and it looked like last weekend they put Florida in so many situations that it didn't let Dan Mullen feel comfortable with what he had at quarterback. So I kind of look at that this weekend, Chad, and what they're going to do to LSU and, and, and Johnson at quarterback for the Tigers. If if they can make him uncomfortable and, and get him into some bad situations, make him throw some interceptions or, or fumble the football, you're going to see Kentucky rolling. But you know, the biggest thing to me is can the Wildcats continue to perform like this uh, and set up a huge matchup in Athens next weekend? Well, we know Stingley's out, and he's been out for the last couple of weeks for LSU, Trey. But they've been allowing passing yards, surprisingly, with that secondary at LSU this season. Started in week one against UCLA. We have Chad's right. You mentioned the, the passing yards as well, Trey, the, the, the average per game and not seeing them over 180. This is supposed to be Will Levis that's play action after they get Chris Rodriguez going, and, and we, we see more passing yards. Do they do that this week against LSU secondary? And if they don't, maybe that's a sign we're just simply not going to see it. Yeah, but Jonathan, they'd better test them. They, they better test LSU because their LSU is pretty low right now in the secondary. And when you think of LSU, you know, you think of defensive backs, you think of linebackers, you know, just that defense as a whole right now. But the way that they looked against Auburn, you know, if Kentucky was paying attention, which I know they were, and went back and watched that tape, there's ways that you can make the LSU secondary pay, especially trying to go deep. You talked about Will Levis as this play-action type of quarterback. Well, a lot of that's going to have to do with, okay, can Chris Rodriguez get going against this LSU front seven? And, and if they can do that, if they can, you know, break off those six-yard runs, you know, Make it second down and four. Don't get yourself caught up into trouble. That's where I think Kentucky can take care, take advantage of what LSU has on the back end because I don't trust them right now. In the way they played in the second half against Auburn, I can see why a lot of people wouldn't. So I think Kentucky's going to come out. They're going to test them early. Uh, you're going to put Wondell Robinson out there, and, and they're going to say, okay, you have to guard me now. And if you're going to put two men on me, okay, then we're going to have somebody else open or a man-to-man coverage on the other side. So I would look for Kentucky to try to open it up a little bit more than they have. And uh, if they're going to beat the Tigers, they're, they're going to have to do something through the air. Ole Miss and Arkansas this coming weekend as well and what is a battle of strength versus strength and a battle for that second tier. Ole Miss and Arkansas both blown out last week. Ole Miss still has a top-five offense nationally in scoring. Arkansas still they still maintain a top ten defense nationally, uh, despite the scores and the lopsided affairs last week against Alabama and Georgia. And strength against strength because Arkansas is really good uh, against the pass, and Ole Miss is really bad at stopping the run. So what gives here in this game, Jonathan? I don't think Arkansas is as bad as what the score looked like last weekend. And I don't think Ole Miss is as bad as what the score looked like last weekend. Uh, well, we'll start with our, we'll start with Ole Miss. The Ole Miss defense got put in some horrible situations in Tuscaloosa, where Lane Kiffin's deciding to go forward on 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 fourth down. So you're giving the ball to Alabama, you know, either at the Ole Miss forty yard line or right there, not having them drive down the field. And I think that's you know you 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 guys saw it. It it held. Ole Miss's offense back from what, you know, trying to make a comeback or trying to put points on the board later, but it killed their defense. And and when you get put in that situation, you know, I, I get Lane Kiffin was trying to be a little cocky with his offense and, and trying to to take some chances, but I think he took too many. And, and once you get in that hole against Alabama, 
you're not getting out of it. They're, they're, they're going to suffocate you. So offensively, I think Matt Corral is, is still that guy at quarterback, you know, in the Southeastern Conference. And it'll be interesting to see how he can play against an Arkansas defense that I don't think that that was that, you know, they were that bad, you know, overall coming out of Georgia. I know what the score looked like, but I still think Arkansas can, can be that good football team. The problem is, you know, when you get put and you're down, like we talked about earlier, that much, and you make KJ Jefferson do things that he is not comfortable with, even playing from 24 points down, you know, it, it, you're going to put yourself in a bad spot. So I, I look at the way, you know, Arkansas comes back and handles last week, if they can just put it in the rearview mirror. And then you have Lane Kiffin with what he's going to try to draw up against a Barry Odom defense that is actually, you know, Good, and I think that the the previous opponents proved that uh, their wins. It's going to be a clash, and and I think that we 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 see a good game out of two teams that I think are actually still pretty good in the SEC West. They just ran into a buzzsaw last weekend. Well, let's go to our uh, outkick the tailgate game. Hutton and I will be in Kyle Field on Saturday night. Texas A and M hosting Alabama. A year ago, in that COVID shortened twenty twenty season. A&M went to Alabama and lost big, 52-24. And that served as a catalyst the rest of the way. They were great the rest of the season. A&M has been pretty bad so far this season. With their defense, and they still have really good players on defense, is there any chance that A&M can use this game against Alabama for a catalyst in the right direction again this season? Or is it just simply... Zach Calzada, and that's about it, and you're not going to be able to play with Alabama for that reason. I mean, Chad, I think the SEC on CBS pretty much screwed up when they flipped the games. They should have put Auburn, Georgia at night and Alabama and A&M in the afternoon. I I watched that Texas A&M-Mississippi State game last week, and, and the way Rodgers from Mississippi State, at quarterback, was able to throw the ball you know, on, on the Texas A&M defense, especially in the second half. Um, that that caused some concern for me for what Jimbo's doing right now down in College Station. Um, I, I get that they're dealt the hand that they are with, at the quarterback position, but you got to have Calzada ready to go. You know, we didn't know what Haynes King was going to be coming into this season. Now you've had three or four games with Calzada. He should be the guy that you can rely on. The running game with Spiller has been kind of off to me. I, I don't think that they're getting as much production as they should. Um, and, and in the passing game right now, they're just they're just struggling. And you look at what Mississippi State was able to do last weekend and come in, they were able to dink and dive their way into the end zone against A&M. And, and I think, you know, Alabama, you know, that's not their game. Their game is they're going to run the ball at you, and then they're going to test you 40 yards deep, and you're going to have to beat them, and you're going to have to put pressure on Bryce Young. I get the A&M defense is good, and, 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 and maybe they can hold them in there in the first half. But, Chad, I don't see enough offensive production out of the Aggies that tell me, okay, this game is going to be great, and I'm going to be glued to my TV at 1030 Saturday night seeing if the Aggies can pull off an upset. I just don't see it right now. Jimbo has some major problems on offense, and they're not going to get fixed this year. You know, I think it's, I think it's a rebuild that they have to do. But We'll see. You mentioned it. The the Aggie defense is good. I mean, I'll give them that. Mike Leach found a couple things last week that kind of threw them off. We'll see if they can bounce back. And if they can, maybe they make this thing a game and do better than what Ole Miss did, you know, against Alabama and, and keep this thing tight. The, the key thing to me out of this one is how can they do, 
you know, on first down. You know, if they can get Alabama in that second and four kind of territory, second and three, you know, pick five or six yards up, then I think you can see some sustained drives. But other than that, if they can't, Alabama is going to go into College Station. They're going to boat race them, and that's going to be it for the Aggies. I'm all for UT's dark mode uniforms. I think they look pretty cool. Uh, yeah. But I, 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 am I showing my age when I'm surprised that in Josh Heupel's very first meeting with his team, uniforms came up? And that he says it's actually kind of a big thing in recruiting. Yeah, Paul. It was you know when when he met with the the team, it was he met with the leadership council at first, which comprised of about seven players uh, on that leadership council. Um, and in in at the, towards the end of that conversation, it, you know there were things that were asked. Okay, what can you do? You know, or what Josh Heupel asked, what can I do to make y'all's lives better here at Tennessee? Um, or make things more fun, per se. Um, a couple of things were like music at practice, different things in the locker room, stuff along those lines. And then the uniforms are brought up. You know, there was the reason why this is talked about right now with this current team is because they were supposed to do this last season during the COVID year. They were, they were supposed to have these black uniforms last year. They were going to roll them out towards the end of the season. They were going to play, and then it had been set. But things kind of got pushed off when it comes to what Nike could have done. So this was kind of a carryover situation. You know, when it comes to the players wanting this, you know, they wanted it last year. They told Josh Heupel they, want, they would like to have it this year, and, and they made it happen. Um, I, I think recruiting-wise, yeah, it's cool, I guess you could say, Paul, for a minute. But let's be honest with each other here. If Tennessee goes out and, and drops this game Saturday against Carolina, those uniforms aren't <laughs> going to do a damn worth of good. So it, it really doesn't matter. Trey Wallace, Outkick.com, where you can read his work on a daily basis. Does a great job covering the Southeastern Conference for the site. You can follow him on Twitter at TreyWallace underscore. Trey, thank you as always. Thanks. We enjoy this each week. Guys, I have a great time down in College Station. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Great job, Trey, Trey. Wallace there again. Outkick.com is where you can find his columns and uh, coverage of the SEC. Coming up, uh, there is a big player making a potential return to fantasy football this weekend. Roster up. That's straight ahead on Outkick 360. (music) 60 rolls on coming up at uh, the top of the hour in about 10 minutes. I believe there is a, there's an NFL team and an NFL player who each face a turning point in week five. We'll discuss that for the NFL weekend ahead. Um, first, though, there's a fight this weekend, believe it or not. Fury and Wilder 3. Uh, it snuck up on us. And I think it was postponed originally. The third one was postponed due to COVID. It's back. And it's back on FanDuel. FanDuel.com slash OK360. You bet $5 to win $150. First time users... Bet five to win 150 on the outright winner, Fury Wilder 3, this Saturday, the trilogy between the two. FanDuel Sportsbook, FanDuel.com slash OK360. How do you not take advantage of this? I say it every time at FanDuel. If you're not already signed up and you see that type of offer, you got to jump on it. Got to take advantage. Jump on that. Jump on that offer the way Fury jumped on Wilder's neck with his tongue. 
in the last matchup. That's what I remember from that yes. fight. So you get I that. I remember Fury winning, and I remember him licking uh, the ear or disgusting. neck of Wilder. So you get that one fifty in your pocket by making this five dollar bet, and then you can make a whole bunch of five dollar bets that make it more fun to go. watch games. Make it your your first bet. Fanduel.com slash OK three sixty. Um, I don't know if it's a good bet or not that Christian McCaffrey returns for the Panthers this weekend, but he is saying he is very close. Uh, he's telling reporters that he shouldn't be ruled out for this weekend and that he could return for the Panthers as soon as Sunday. That is huge news. Take an extra week. Huge news. Hamstring. For I'm a big take an extra week guy. So it's good to talk about it, you know, make your opponent think about it, then take one more week. I feel the same way about A.J. Brown. We're talking about him in Nashville. He practiced for a second day in a row today. He'll probably be limited. But I've seen video yesterday. I saw him for myself. Looks really good, cutting, everything. But for A.J. Brown, it would really be one week. It's two weeks since the day he heard it. But that seems fast for a wide receiver. This seems pretty brisk for McCaffrey, who pulled up you know, with no contact, hopping on, on a hamstring. I just wonder if you're not... You know, you're begging for it to resurface. Here's he says the issue. he feels great. Here's the issue with the hamstring, and I'm no doctor, nor do I claim to be one. I don't know. I've seen your name on billboards across I've town. seen you wearing Dr. Uh, doctor, a DDS. Uh, going out uh, in scrubs. I didn't go for the Dentist. full MD, yeah. but I was a DDS. <laughs> Winthrop. I'm reminded of uh, Meet the Parents. Didn't go for the full MD, huh, Greg? Didn't do that? Um, I, I'm no doctor, but I have pulled my hamstring before. And I will say this about any hamstring or soft tissue injury. It doesn't matter when you come back. Once you do it, this is why I get so nervous when I see a player that pulls a calf or pulls a hamstring or pulls a quad. doesn't matter. The moment it feels okay, you got to go play and test it because it could happen that first week back. It could happen four weeks after that. Once you pull something, the likelihood of pulling it again is higher. It's that simple. So the moment you feel decent on it, just give it a shot because your body will start to send you signals of it's starting to go. And you can feel it, and you might tense up a little bit. You might stop your stride a little bit short before it goes. But you can feel that puppy start to do the same thing again pretty quickly. There's only one way to know, and that's to go out and play. Not- I hope A.J. Brown goes out and tests it. I hope you know McCaffrey, whoever else, go out and test it as soon as you can. I also am no doctor. Again, no doctor, though. This I is am, not my medical advice. I am a team owner of a 4-0 team that has both Christian McCaffrey and A.J. Brown. And I think they should take another week. Paul mentioning one of his fantasy football teams. Well, I can't one get into all four of them. I'd bore you guys. I'm going to talk about main. the 4-0 one. That's the way it uh, works. Very convenient you talk about the 4-0 <laughs> one. And I'm sure you have uh, these players on other teams as well. Let's talk about I my 4-0 Outkick 360 league team that I have right now. The prestigious media league, 4-0. <laughs> very prestigious media league. Our Outkick 360 league, more prestigious. No, it's not It's true. more prestigious. Bigger prizes. There are no prizes in the other one, except the prestige, which is what makes it so prestigious. Name the NFL team who has the most players on injured reserve. The Tennessee Titans. I'm just going to take a flyer and say Pittsburgh. Baltimore. The Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> yeah, should, that should have been obvious. The Baltimore was, Ravens. We're doing just fine. With 17 players, there are two teams tied for second. It is Tennessee and Denver, each with 13 players currently on IR. Uh, the Titans, uh, media, their, their injury list grows. It was 21 yesterday. It's now at 23 players. Uh, Derrick Henry's on that list, though. He was rested today. 
among the 23 players. But there are uh, several players who did not practice. Several. And now they face Jacksonville. Titans have three who are activated. Leaderless team in Jacksonville. Titans have three who are activated. (laughs) A rudderless ship. But haven't... uh, haven't come off IR. Correct. So they have 13 players currently on injured reserve. Yeah. Did you guys see Urban Meyer and his media availability yesterday? No. How uncomfortable. He looked rough. I like physically <laughs> looked rough. Like his hair yeah. was, I mean, it looked like me at kids drop off at 7 a.m. <laughs> before I've showered. That's how he looked at media availability. His hair was different. Uh, his eyes looked awful. He, A little he wild. Looked, he looked bad. A little wild eye. Look like I was been. Look like I like been up all night getting kitchen utensils. I don't want us to enter the uh, sympathy stage for Urban. I, I'm fine oh, where Herb. we are. Oh, there's no sympathy for me. I mean, I know. You know, this is just step one before we fake a heart attack. Is what I'm saying with the way he looks right now. Says he's not resigning. I will not resign. What was it? Wasn't there a <laughs> headache issue also that he had? Migraines. Yeah. Yeah. Cyst. Uh, some sort of cyst or migraines. Poor guy. A lot of issues. Plenty. A lot of issues. Plenty of issues. He in needs a doctor. Yeah. Not me. Not me, because I'm not a doctor. You're an orthodontist. He needs, he needs a doctor. Not an orthodontist. Except some, the migraines sometimes DDS. come from the teeth. The DDS. Fork in the road for a team and an NFL player this weekend. We begin there next. And then Armando Salguero joins the show to preview all of Week 5 across the National Football League on Outkick 360. Couldn't go for the full MD.